Well, I would like to welcome you to a launch of a next series. In fact, this is going to be a 12-week series, and we're entitling it Launch. We are going to be looking at the launch of the early church. As you'll recall, we just finished up our series where we were taking a look at the powerful proof that Jesus demonstrated that he had rose from the dead. And uh, we, were, we called it For the Record. And so we've got uh, on record the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And uh, Pastor Daryl wrapped up that series as he took a look at Jesus ascending up into heaven. But he said these words before he went back up to heaven and he told his followers to go into Jerusalem and wait until they are endued with power from on high. And so they went. And we are going to be taking a look over these next 12 weeks at the opening um, the opening moments of the early church, the, the, the church that Jesus came to establish, the church that he loved, the church that he established this new covenant or this new agreement with. And these people, these followers, these ones who saw Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and even ascension back up to heaven. And he gave them this incredible responsibility to be the voice of the church, to lead the church, to, to uh, launch the church into existence. No small task, really, um, especially because he gave words to them such as, you know, you are, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so this task was not a small task. Almost all of these people who started the church gave their life for the cause. They went on to become martyrs. But we're going to be focused on the, the very beginning moments, the launch moments of the church. What does it mean to launch? It means to, to initiate, to start, to send, to send something into motion. This is that word launch. And but the Lord gave this promise in Acts chapter one, verse eight, when he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And these guys must have felt somewhat powerless. And that's why the Lord said to go and wait for this power. Um, have you ever needed to jumpstart your car? Have you ever went out on that cold morning and went to start the car only to find that nothing will happen, that engine will not turn over? It usually happens at the most um, unfortunate moments and you're going to be late for an appointment or to work. But then you got to bring someone else's car over and you try to jumpstart it, say, I just got to get it started. I'll deal with the problem later. And so you put the jumper cables on, um, on, on the car that's not working and you got this car that's running and you put the other end of the jumper cables on and you wait there for a few moments while it's kind of getting a charge. And then you go to try to restart your car. And you know, we, we all know how to do that and it's helpful. But what you're doing in that moment is you are borrowing the power from another source. When, when your car does not have the power that it needs, you're borrowing the power to get yours going. Now, 
we're going to be kind of taking a look, and I've entitled this first message in this 12-part series, uh, Jumpstart, because that is exactly what the church, the early church needed to launch. It needed a jumpstart. It needed power from another source. It needed power that was bigger and stronger than the, what they currently had. Um, they may have had faith. They may have had reassurance that, that Jesus was indeed who he said he was because of his powerful demonstration of proving who he was. But there was still something that God knew they needed, and that was going to be the power of the Holy Spirit. They needed to be empowered. They needed to have power that they didn't have, power that came from God himself. And so what we're going to take a look at is Acts chapter 2, where we find this promise being fulfilled um, that they would receive power from on high. Acts chapter 2 is a powerful chapter of Scripture, especially for those of us who not only believe, but need, desire, celebrate the Holy Spirit. Our church is one of those churches. The Holy Spirit is essential to everything we do as a church. We, we lean on and we pray for God's Holy Spirit, His coming alongside us to give us what we need for the things that we're called to do. And so we're going to take a look here at the pretty much the whole book of, of or whole chapter of Acts chapter 2, and we're going to take it segment by segment. In this first segment, I am encouraging us to, to, to observe this thought, that it's a powerful boost, a powerful boost. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There... I'm sorry, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what we find here is we, it says here at the beginning of this verse, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And the day of Pentecost is not, you know, we, re, we think of it as that time when the Holy Spirit came, but these people had already been celebrating the day of Pentecost. And what were they celebrating? Well, if you will recall, we're going to go back, um, way back in history to when the Lord had delivered the people of, of Israel out of Egypt. And you can remember that time when the, the um, death angel had come over and was, you know, the curse had come upon the Egyptians to force their hand to finally let the Israelites go and all the firstborn in the house you know, and all the houses died, except for those who had applied the, the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. And the death angel knew that these are one of the God's chosen people and not to inflict this curse upon them. And so um, the, they were instructed to celebrate this Passover every year. And in fact, Jesus himself celebrated the Passover on the night that he was betrayed and was crucified. He celebrated this Passover, this observance of the Lord protecting his people. And then we find here that, you know, even they had celebrated the day of Pentecost seven weeks after they were delivered from the Egyptians. It was called the Festival of Weeks um, or the um, Jewish people would call it the Shabbat. 
uh, the Shabbat. And, and so in that celebration, 50 days after the Passover is when we also take a look and the Lord had taken Moses up on the mountain and there he gave him the Ten Commandments 50 days after the Passover. And so for year after year after year, they would celebrate the Passover, the time that the Lord you know, passed over and didn't and protected them from the curse of the death of the firstborn. And then 50 days later, they received this new covenant, this new partnership between the people, God's chosen people and God himself, this new arrangement and this partnership. And in every good partnership, um, we find this relationship and we find that the Lord did this again on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after he was crucified. We find that he establishes this reaffirmation of a relationship of this partnership by validating his people with the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's a new covenant. It's a reassurance of this partnership. So this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost serves as a sign of covenant, a sign of partnership. Have you ever needed a boost in anything? Like, you know, you're trying to get up on a horse and someone will come and boost you up on there. You were not able to get up on the horse by yourself, but you needed someone to give you a boost. Or maybe you're running from the cops and you need a boost over the fence and someone throws you over the fence. I don't know what you need a boost for, but a boost is when two people come together to work together to accomplish something. It's a boost. You needed a boost. And here's the thing that all boosts... Um, that we have that, you know, whenever we need a boost from somebody, it's not something we planned. It's something that came together out of need. It's a partnership. It's a working together. You might even call it a covenant of sorts when you are getting a boost. And you see, that's what happens on the day of Pentecost. The Lord realized that we needed help to accomplish the mission that he sent the church on, the establishing of the church. And so the day of Pentecost here, they're celebrating the festival of weeks, the feast of weeks, and here the Lord validates his presence and validates a covenant by giving them the Holy Spirit. Well, what happens as the Holy Spirit comes? The second thought here is he captured the attention, not only the attention of those who receive the Holy Spirit in that instance, but also he captured the attention of those who were around. Let's keep reading. Verse five, it says this. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues of the world, of the, of the wonderful works of God. 
So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. So we find here that this boost, this um, coming of the Holy Spirit, this partnership between God himself and the new church was not only about renewed partnership, but it's also about the launching of the church with lost people, that new people would be coming. And that's why when the Holy Spirit came, he began to impact language. And here we find those who are in this room, they began speaking in an unknown tongue to them. But in this instance, it was known to all of these different people groups that were there listening. So the Lord had orchestrated something beautiful. There were all of these people who spoke, who had a native language that was different from the person he's standing next to. And all of a sudden they're beginning to speak in tongues, capturing the attention of those who now are hearing someone speaking in their own language and they knew they shouldn't know that language. This captured their attention. All of a sudden, all eyes are fixed on what in the world is going on here. We're hearing language that shouldn't happen. Getting a person's attention is kind of interesting. Uh, my wife and kids, they often uh, observe and give me a hard time about what they call Joe's Zone. That's when I'm focused in on a task or reading something, looking at something, and they be, just begin to talk to me, and I'm not hearing a word they're saying. I am in my own world. I'm in my own zone, completely cut off from everything they're saying. It used to cause Danita and I some issues because um, she would say something and I wouldn't hear a word and, you know, she would get pretty frustrated early on. Pretty soon she just came to realize that she's got to get my attention and know she's got it before she starts talking about all the stuff that she's talking about. It's Joe's zone. Um, you know, this past week was the 4th of July and there was fireworks going off in town. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, your animals and pets don't like that. Um, we were walking the dog and uh, we were out at the cemetery and all of a sudden there were explosions going on people lighting off fireworks and it would capture copper's attention fortunately copper doesn't have anxiety about that like your dog might but um, it can really get their attention they start looking trying to figure out where it was fireworks at good at getting people's attention um, sirens work really well you've probably been driving down the road and all of a sudden you hear the sirens coming and you're looking in your rearview mirror and you're trying to figure out which direction the the fire trucks coming um, sirens work well News, unfortunate news, can have this kind of effect. When all of a sudden you hear of something that's taking place, that's happening, and it captures your attention. Or maybe you get the, the results back from the doctor that says, you know, hey, your cholesterol level's high, um, and they, uh, you, they, your blood pressure's not looking that good, or whatever it is, you get this news, and all of a sudden, it captures your attention. I better pay attention now. You see, God got people's attention on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, he took this opportunity. There, you know, he told these people to wait, and all of a sudden, there's, there's people from um, all these different language regions that come together, and here he does something to capture their attention. Now, I want to encourage you right now, because you right now may be walking through life fairly oblivious to what God's trying to speak to you. You, you don't really have your attention focused 
focused in on him. And I want to encourage you right now to decide that you're going to be a person who has his attention fixed on what the Lord is trying to speak to you. Because if not, he's probably going to do something to capture your attention. He's going to do something to get your focus on him. One would be wise to simply give God your undivided attention rather than to require him to capture it through something, through some means. If you are just in tune with God, if you're just focused in on him, on his word, daily giving him time in prayer, he's not going to have to do much to get your attention. On this day of Pentecost, though, we find that there were multiple responses to this moment when he was capturing their attention. Some of them were amazed and marveled and perplexed. What is this? We hear someone speaking in my own native language. This shouldn't happen. I'm going to have to figure out what this is. My, my eyes are fixed on what God's trying to speak to me. Others, though, had a different response. Some said they mocked him. They said, these people must be drunk. These people have had too much to drink. And they remained in their oblivion. They remained in a state or in a situation of ignorance to what God was trying to speak to them. Friends, let's be people that give God our attention. Let's not wait for it to have to be captured with some jarring experience. But here we also find, as we move on in this passage, that there's a pre-planned jumpstart. What do I mean by this? Well, the Lord did not uh, just like come up with this day of Pentecost outpouring of his Holy Spirit on the last moment. Oh, what am I going to do to get these people attention? Ah, I got an idea. No, he planned this out. He knew that the people, he knew that there would be this um, oblivion that's settled in on the people. He knew that he was going to have to do something to get their attention. He knew that he was going to have to empower this fledgling little group of people that would become the, um, the people who would run the race and would establish the church. He knew that he was going to have to give them a jump start. He pre-planned it from the beginning. Generally speaking, though, you don't pre-plan a jump start, do you? You don't, you don't um, plan on your battery being dead. It just all of a sudden happens. All of a sudden, you're in a situation, you're in an emergency situation. You don't want to need a boost, do you? We don't like to put ourselves in a situation where we're reliant on someone coming alongside of us and giving us a boost. We don't, we don't want to be need, needing other people. We don't want to be even needing God. We like to be in control. We like to be in charge. We like to be the master of our own destiny. We don't want that partnership. These things, though, um, you know, these emergencies, they come out of unplanned situations or even emergency situations. But we find here that the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit is a pre-planned jumpstart. God already had things in motion that this was his plan. In this moment, the coming of the Holy Spirit has come. Peter gets a chance to stand up, to take the lead and to... Uh, to 
give the message and to walk people through some of the scriptures. Acts chapter 2, verse 15 says this, as he is explaining what's just happened here, says, For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. You see here, uh, Peter gets up and he says, what you're seeing happening here is a fulfillment of something God already told us back 400 years ago when the prophet Joel was writing things down. And he already talked to us about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he, he gives that explanation. You've already read the scriptures, you Jewish people. You've already read the scriptures. This is what Joel said. And that's what's happening right here. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He also goes on to explain what happened to Jesus, that Jesus was sent from God and he kind of gives him his not only life story, but especially his crucifixion and his resurrection. And he he identifies it from the Old Testament. He ties Jesus's life to what David had talked about. Um, and the, and so it all came down to this this last statement here, Acts chapter 2, verse 36, when it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Um, here he puts the onus on the people who are listening. Some of them are probably going, I didn't crucify Jesus. What are you talking about? I wasn't involved. And yet, Peter puts the onus on those. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Probably a lot of them there were the same ones in the crowd that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, just 50 days earlier. Probably many of them were proving to death. Probably many of them had heard about this whole story in the local coffee shop. And, and they, yeah, they just they threw their hat in the ring against Jesus too as they heard the story. And Peter gets up and says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Um, we've got this coffee mug that's in our cabinet and we'll drink coffee out of it. And it's a, it's a cute little cup. You've probably heard the saying when people are trying to avoid uh, taking responsibility for what's going on. And they'll say something like this. It's not my circus and those are not my monkeys. But we've got this coffee mug that says that moment you realize that it is your circus and those are your monkeys. You see, I, uh, uh, it seems like that moment hits me a lot. You think that you're scot-free, you've got no responsibility from what's going on, and all of a sudden you realize, oh no, those are people I'm responsible for. Oh no, that decision is something I made earlier. That's a decision that I did not get involved in, and all of a sudden you realize, no, this is my circus. These are my monkeys. You see, we also need to come to that moment when we realize that Jesus' death on the cross is because of you. It's because of me. It's because of our sin that Jesus chose to do that. We are responsible. When we take a look at the crucifixion of Jesus, we don't just simply go, oh, that pilot or, oh, that, uh, that Roman soldier who had the hammer in his hand and he was nailing Jesus to the cross. And we realize, no, that, that hammer's in my hand. I'm just as guilty of sin as the next person. 
This is my circus. These are my monkeys. It is my responsibility. And that's what Peter brought everybody in that moment on the day of Pentecost to understand, saying all that you see going on here confirms that God is who he says he is. This is a work of God, and he ties it to Jesus, whom you crucified, he says. And so what do we find here happens? This is beautiful. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, after this preaching and this very pointed message that says you are responsible, we find explosive results. Explosive results. Let's read verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, this is your circus. These are your monkeys. When they heard that, it says they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this present generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What an explosive result! They hear the word of God. Peter invites them, say, you and your children and all who are far off, come and be a part and join in this crucifixion, this resurrection, and even this new covenant confirmed through this Holy Spirit that's just come is for you. What a day for the church. What an explosive day. What a launch of the church. Their numbers went from a couple hundred who had become followers of Jesus to now over 3,000 people were a part of this church on the day of Pentecost, on really the birthday of the church. This response to the gospel is as dramatic as it possibly could be. Now, as we go through the next several months of looking at the birth and the growth of the early church, um, I want for us to see our own part in this. You see, this promise of the Holy Spirit is not only for those who were there on the day of Pentecost, but this promise of the Holy Spirit, this confirmation of God's presence in the church is for you. It's for me. It's for Rochester life. It's for those who call in the name of Jesus. You see, we have folks in our lives who are standing around in total oblivion some of them mocking the church. Some of them saying, I don't want anything to do with the church. Those people are drunk. And here's the, the fact of the matter is, is that you and I have been charged with a mission. And we have been given a promise that the Holy Spirit will come alongside. And we are going to see amazing things done as we step out in faith, trusting the Lord. The church went from a few hundred to a few thousand. What can it do today? What can it do today with all the technology and all the knowledge and the influence that he has given to you and me? Authentic community was born. There, we're going to read one last portion of scripture here, and we're going to find a beautiful description of authentic community. Um, verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among 
among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is a description of authentic community. And friends, this is a a new focus that we're going to be giving over the next several months here. We are going to Pray for and engage in what we're calling authentic community. We at Rochester Life, we've got three ministry aims that we hold to. One of them is sacred, uh, a sacred message. We always want for our messages at Rochester Life to come from God's Word and to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's a sacred message. We also want to re- have responsive worship where we respond to God in our worship. We're responding to His grace. But we also, we've, we've used this word authentic discussion as our third ministry, and we're adjusting it a little bit. We're adjusting it to be called authentic community. And we are going to be encouraging and challenging everyone in Rochester life to take responsibility for authentic community. That we've got someone that's pouring into our life and we've got other people that we're investing into. That we are not uh, lone soldiers as we walk in faith, but rather we are a part of this kind of community. The kind of community, the church, the community that God established and validated through the Holy Spirit. We want to see the description of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, the reality of what happens in Rochester life. We want to be engaged in people coming to Christ. We want to be engaged in people giving and receiving as needed. We want to see um, a beautiful thing happen where people are eating together in each other's homes, authentic community. And in so doing, we're going to see people added to the church daily, those who are being saved. This is what we are aiming for at Rochester Life, authentic community. Now, we must recognize that apart from Christ, we do not have the vehicle to launch. We don't even have the vehicle to launch. If you are trying to do this life, if you're trying to experience authentic community and you don't know Christ, friends, you are, it's like you're, you're trying to do something without the vehicle. You, you, you can't go anywhere without Christ. And if we are trying to do this, we know Christ, but we've not invited the Holy Spirit in. We've not sought the Holy Spirit. We've not been endued with the power from on high. It's like we have the vehicle, but we've got a dead battery. We need to ask the Lord to jumpstart, to allow the Holy Spirit to come in into our lives and empower us for the ministry that He calls us to. You see, we are a Pentecostal people. We believe not only in salvation, but we believe in a second work of grace that the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers the gifts that He's already given to us. And friends, no matter where you're at in this faith journey, maybe you're one of those who are sitting around the outskirts of the church Maybe you're even criticizing the church. You're criticizing what goes on. Today is a day of salvation for you. Would you say yes to Jesus for the first time? And maybe you're sitting around and you're going, man, I don't seem to have any power in my life. I I feel disconnected. Friends, I want to encourage you to seek the Holy Spirit and watch the empowering of God come into your life. And I believe as you do that, As the Holy Spirit comes in, as you seek it, He might even give you that evidence that He has come in and you begin to speak in other tongues. 
That's the prayer language that the Lord has promised to you. It is going to be that vehicle. It's going to be that empowering that comes into your life. And it's not just so that you can speak in tongues or that you've got some other gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's that you would experience relationship within the church. That you would experience Acts 2, 42 through 47. That you would be a part of this organization, this family, this life that God came to bring us through Jesus Christ and validated through the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Let's pray right now that you would either say yes to Jesus or let's pray that the Holy Spirit would come and give you the power that you need. Lord, I thank you that you have called us by name and that you know us and you love us. And Lord God, as we take a look at Acts chapter 2, we cannot help but to be fully inspired by the work that you did, the validation that you gave us, O oh Lord, of the church that you were establishing. And I pray right now, if there's someone listening to this, Lord, who's never said yes to you, Lord God, that they would see this as an invitation to a relationship with God, but also, Lord, a, a, an invitation to life in authentic community with your church. And Lord God, that they would open their heart to you. They would turn from their sin. They would say yes to you, just like 3,000 people did on this day of Pentecost. And Lord God, I pray also for those, O oh Lord, who've said yes to you, but they feel dry, they feel powerless, they feel disconnected. I pray, God, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, even as we pray right now, even as they join with me and seek you out, Lord, may you fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray they would be so connected, Lord, in the days ahead to an authentic community with those, Lord, you call the church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.